The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the 35th episode of the Keeper Cup podcast. This is your host, Chad Young. You've got me solo this week. You had Pete solo last week talking about his takeaways from the 2021 season. I'm going to do the same this week. I'm going to actually start off by responding to what Pete had to say, following up with some of my own takeaways. We are recording this on Friday night, October 8th. We're a couple days into the playoffs. There have been some super fun games and moments. Brewers with a close win today. The Astros taking a two-game lead. Red Sox beating up on the Rays to come back. But really the moment in that series is and and will be Randy Rosarena stealing home, a straight steal of home. Super exciting. Giants also taking game one today. So a lot of of playoff baseball right now. Potentially some fantasy implications there. I mean, Tanner Houck pitching pretty well in relief. For the Red Sox today, he came on and pitched five innings, five strikeouts, two hits, one earned run, no walks. Pretty, pretty good. And for a guy who, who we've been talking up on this show quite a bit, Pete in particular, uh, having a good postseason could really change his draft value. I think there's probably some people who still doubt Logan Webb a bit, but Man, did he look good today. Seven and two-thirds against the Dodgers. Five hits, no walks, no runs, 10 Ks. That is a beautiful, beautiful start. Randy Rosarena looks like he's going to take off in the postseason just like he did last year. So, you know, we'll see. There's still a lot of lot of baseball left to be played in this postseason, a lot for us to learn. There'll be a lot for us to talk about as the offseason goes on. But as always, there will be things that Impact and change, what we're thinking, who we're, who we're looking at to pick up, what we're thinking about for the offseason. But right now, where we are, is looking at our takeaways from the season that just ended. Uh, this wasn't, I would say, my most successful season ever. Uh, I did win one auto new championship out of five, six leagues I'm in, seven leagues I'm in. I uh, had a couple other third place, fourth place finishes where I finished in the money, which is always nice. I won a redraft league. I'm not even sure when the last time I won a redraft redraft league is, but I won a pitcherless staff league, which is pretty exciting. Uh, I'll talk actually a little bit about that when I get to my takeaways in a little bit. But 
redraft is not my thing. There's a reason I host the Keeper Cup podcast, not one of the others. And so I was sort of impressed with myself for, for doing for doing well in that league. Pete and I also did pretty well in the podcast league, making it to the semifinals before succumbing to the eventual champion. The Hack and Jacks guys just they were on top and they they deserved it. We 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 couldn't quite get over the top. We actually tied them in the semifinals. The first tiebreaker was year-long head-to-head record. We tied on that as well. And I believe the second tiebreaker was overall regular season record. And they were they were miles ahead of us. So uh, a deserved win there. And they did go on to win the championship. But takeaways aren't all about results. They're often about what we did, what we thought went well, what didn't go so well, what we wish we'd done differently, what we learned. And so we're going to start off, like I said, by by looking back at what Pete shared with you if you listened to the last episode. If you didn't, you can go back and listen to it. I'm not going to spend a ton of time repeating what he said. What I'm going to do is sort of give my thoughts on this. So the first big takeaway Pete had was feeling like it's time to start investing in the catcher position. And I think that's a really interesting point. Catcher was top heavy this year. There were five, six, maybe seven guys who were solid. And then it fell apart. And in the past, it's been like two or three guys, and I didn't really want to pay for one of those two or three. And then it's been a a, a bunch, 15, 20 guys who are all fine. If there's going to be six or seven good catchers, though, I agree with Pete. You sort of, you got to get one of them. And if you don't, you find yourself scrambling all season. It's a really, really different place to be than where I think, where I felt like you were a couple of years ago. This year... As I look towards 2022, we're doing, Pete and I are actually both participating in a, a pitcher list mock draft. I'll throw the link to the draft board in the, the notes so you can see that. But in that one, I took Buster Posey in this one, and it's very much tied to what Pete was saying. It's I, I didn't want to wait around. I didn't want to be stuck with a, a garbage catcher, and there's a lot of those out there. And so I did invest draft, draft capital in a catcher, which is not something I've done in the past. But I think it's the right thing to do. I think looking at at who's out there, obviously Salvi had just an insane year. Salvador Perez, the the catcher in Kansas City. But beyond that, you're looking at you know JT Realmuto, Will Smith, Yasmani Grandal, Buster Posey, uh, Mike Zanino. If he can keep putting up those kind of power numbers, Wilson Contreras had a good year. And then there's a bunch of question marks, like maybe Omar Navias will be good. Maybe Christian Vasquez will bounce back. Maybe Dalton Varsho steps up. But I really want to try to get one of those top guys, I think. I think it's going to be, you know, it's early in the offseason. Things will evolve. But right now, that's sort of where my head is, and I'm with Pete on that. Pete also talked about not investing in guys with injuries. He talked a lot about pitchers with this, uh, but also mentioned, you know, we got Ronald Acuna. supposed to be back early next year. How much do you want to gamble on that? How are you willing to use a top five pick? Because that's probably what it's going to take to have him. Or are you going to wait and let someone else deal with him? I go back and forth in this. I think there's a lot of value to be had. I, I did pretty well this year with a large number of Framber Valdez shares. I was pretty happy with how that played out. On the other hand, I also had Carlos Carrasco in a couple of places that did not work. I had Luis Severino in a few places that did not work. I still think what I'm looking at in terms of injuries is late in drafts. There are still guys I might gamble on. 
not because I expect them to be back, not because I'm going to trust all the reports, not because I'm going to assume that a guy who's supposed to be back in May will in fact be back in May, but because the upside, like this year, the upside of drafting Chris Sale in you know, the 15th round or whatever it was, was so much higher than anyone else you could have taken there. And I think that's still worth it. This year, there's a couple of guys who should be back for opening day in, in terms of Mike Clevenger, Justin Verlander, Luis Severino's already pitching. Uh, so hopefully he's going to be ready to go full bore when the season starts. Noah Syndergaard should be there. Those kind of guys, I'm still in on. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to wait on those. As we get closer to spring training, guys who get hurt, injuries that come out over the offseason, and guys who they're saying, oh, he should only miss a couple weeks. I am with Pete that I will be assuming a couple weeks is a couple months because it just seems like there's all these delays, all these setbacks, and there's just too much risk. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump the gun on those guys. Speaking of jumping the gun, Pete mentioned, don't reach for prospects. I think this is good advice. And I, this is something I just, I've always agreed with, especially in redraft. It's a problem, but in keeper leagues, it's really important to remember the difference between keeper and dynasty, right? And in, in a keeper league where there's a cost associated with keeping guy, where oftentimes that cost is escalating. When you look at something like auto new, where you're going to you know, pay the price to pay for the guy this year, plus $2 next year, plus whatever arbitration they get hit with, it really changes the calculus on a guy like Jared Kelmick, who, who Pete talked about last week, where you know, in Dynasty, if it takes him a year and a half, two years to become a star, you sit on him and you wait it out and it's okay. In a keeper league, in a not a new league where that price is increasing, you're investing a lot of capital in him. And it's it's gonna hurt your team if he's not producing. And then when he does produce, like let's say that the first half of this year is still a struggle for Kelnick, and by the second half he really breaks out. You're only gonna get half a year of production out of him before arbitration or or costs for keepers or salary increases or whatever it is make him not that great a value in a dynasty keep forever no prices hey he's going to be a star for the next 10 years if you believe that you go get him and it's worth it to suffer through whatever it takes the growing pains whatever it takes but in a keeper league and not a new league it's, it's different so i i agree doesn't mean avoid the prospects right there are still prospects out there i'm super excited about that i will be drafting just be careful about where you draft them, how early you draft them, and how much you expect from them because it takes some time. The last thing Pete talked about was not stressing about stolen bases. The, the number of stolen bases out there is declining year over year. It is way down from where it was a few years back. And basically what that means is you've got some guys at the very top of the draft board who are stealing bases. And then there's not a lot out there. And so... What do you do? Do you go out and you pay for steals? Do you not pay for steals? My take on this, I think, is similar to Pete's. And, and I had some, some problems with that this year. And so I was in a couple of pitcher list leagues, a community league and a staff league that I'll talk about in this episode. I drafted Victor Robles in both of those. I wanted stolen bases. And I thought, well, he's got some upside beyond that. Maybe he'll do a little more for me. But the steals are the steals. And I need those steals. And Man, I don't want to, like Pete said, it's not about punting steals, but I don't want to reach for Victor Robles or or his counterpart next year. Do you think there are some guys 
that are interesting late-ish stolen base targets. Miles Straw jumps out at me because I think Cleveland is committed to him in the leadoff spot. And I think he'll steal 35 bases with a decent on-base percentage, decent average. And hitting in front of Jose Ramirez and Fran Mil Reyes, he gets on, he steals some bases, he's going to score some runs. So you're getting something out of him. But there aren't a lot of other guys out there that I look at and think, yeah, I'm going to go get this guy for steals. Maybe Nicky Lopez, maybe he's the other. Basically, what it comes down to is if I have an early pick and I get Tatis, if I take Acuna, if I pick Betts and he's running, if Jose Ramirez comes to me in the first round, then I might start looking at, okay, who do I get in the second round or the third round? That's a five-category guy like the guy I got in the first round. Because at that point, if you have two of those guys, you've, you're in good shape with steals. And you can start to piece together a, a solid season on stolen bases. So my strategy on stolen bases, I think Pete talked a little bit about sort of waiting until the end of the draft. I'm probably looking about the third or fourth round, at which point I'm going to say, am I punting or am I going for it? And and this matters a lot, whether it's head-to-head or season-long. In a roto league, punting a category is challenging, and you need to do something to at least stay middle of the pack, and I probably will. In a head-to-head league, I might just straight punt it. The reality is there are only a handful of guys who are going to steal you a base a week in a head-to-head league anyways, which means that if you've got a handful of guys who steal five bases on your team, you're going to win a couple of weeks of, of stolen bases just off of that. And that's probably good enough. And so I'm not, I'm with Pete again on that. Not going to go crazy on stolen bases. So with that, let's jump into some of the things that I'm taking as my big takeaways. I got three things I want to talk about. The first one of those is, and this is, it's going to sound like, you know, hippie babble stuff, but like, I want to be true to what I'm best at. And what I mean by that is, I don't believe that I am the best pitching analyst out there. There are people like Alex Fast, Nick Pollock, Eno Saris, who are better than me at analyzing pitchers, who I trust their analysis and their rankings. And I rely on them rather than trying to pick and choose which starter I like. What that means for me is I think I am at my best when I let the guys, when I let guys fall to me, when rather than going out there and saying, this is my guy, I'm going to take him early. I'm going to make a big pick for him. I say, okay, it's time for me to take a picture. And like this guy, you know, Eno has him ranked high. Alex has him ranked high. Nick has him ranked high and he's still here. He shouldn't still be here. I guess I'll take him. Like that really works for me. So this year, I, I mentioned I was going to talk about this community league and the staff league from Pitcherless. So the community league was, you know, it's it's fun, it's relaxed, it's meant to sort of just build community, be part of that Discord. And so I went out and I did something I have literally never done. I used a first round pick on a starting pitcher, tenth pick in the draft. I was very torn, basically between two Cleveland guys. This is not me just being a homer, but for a pitcher, you know, Garrett Cole was gone, Jacob DeGrom was gone, and I thought Bieber, Shane Bieber, could be the number one pitcher this year, certainly belonged in the conversation with those guys. I'm also a big believer that Jose Ramirez is highly underrated. He ended up going 12th. I took Bieber. And then I felt like, oh man, I reached for this pitcher. I've got this pitcher. I'm going to wait. So I didn't pick another pitcher until the sixth because I wanted to build up my offense. And I took Kyle Hendricks and it did not go well with him. And that just sort of set that team off on the the wrong foot. 
Now, in the staff league, so pitcherless staff league with a bunch of the other pitcherless writers, I went with something that was more traditional for me. I had the fourth pick. Fernando Tatis Jr. was there. I took him. In the second round, I'm now late second round, and Aaron Nola, who I thought of as more of a late, early second round, I should say, pick, was still there, and so I took him. Didn't work out great, but I felt like it was a guy who fell to me. I didn't reach for him, and so I sort of stayed with my game. I took Eloy Jimenez in the third and Brandon Woodruff in the fourth. Again, Woodruff, not a guy necessarily wanted to take there, but he felt like such a good value. I couldn't really pass him up. And when you look at the rest of my team, then I was able to sort of focus on offense for a while. I did take Liam Hendricks in the sixth, but from the fifth through the 11th, that Hendricks was the only pitcher I took. I took Pete Alonso, Keston Hira, Giancarlo Stanton, Teoscar Hernandez, Chris Bryant. Then I took Pablo Lopez and Julio Urias. Then I went back to Victor Robles, who I already have talked about here. If you look through this draft, this wasn't a good draft. It really wasn't. I mean, there's some good picks in here. Like Pete Alonso in the fifth round, I was very happy with. Liam Hendricks was great. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton was fine. Tasker Hernandez was a great pick in the ninth. Chris Bryant in the 10th was a great pick. Very happy with Pablo Lopez in the 11th, although he wasn't there to help me down the stretch. But man, I mean, Fernando Tatis missed a bunch of time here and there. Nola was not himself. Eloy Jimenez missed half the season. Woodruff, great pick in the fourth. Then you look sort of later in the draft and some of the guys I, I I was excited about. Victor Robles did nothing. Dylan Carlson was not as good as he should have been. Craig, Craig Kimbrell was awesome until he wasn't a closer. Ryan Yarbrough was terrible. Uh, very happy with my Tommy Edmund pick in the 17th. Gary Sanchez, I don't know what to make of him. He was hot and cold. He did not last the season on my team. Archie Bradley was bad. Domingo Herman was bad. Luis Severino barely pitched. Hunter Dozier was bad. And then Jared Walsh in the 23rd round was another good pick. There are not a lot of great picks there, but I built that team the way I like to build teams rather than trying something new, rather than, you know, everyone's talking about pocket aces. You can take a guy in the first round. I did that. It didn't work for me. I did this and I felt like I had a team I knew what to do with. I hadn't invested a lot in pitchers, so I felt good about churning through them other than Nola and Woodruff. And that worked for me. I ended up winning that league. I was first in the regular season. I won in the playoffs. Now, I don't want to make it sound like because I won the league, therefore this strategy worked and was the right strategy because there are plenty of cases where I've won leagues where my strategy did not work, where I've lost leagues, where I think I played out my, my strategy perfectly, but I felt more comfortable with this team all year. Let me give you another example of this. In Auto New League 1, so this is the original Auto New League. I've been playing this league for, I don't even know how long, years and years and years. I finished tied for fourth in that league, which doesn't seem great, except that we our prize structure pays out the top four. So getting into that top four really matters. That league, I went into the season without a single pitcher who cost me more than $10. Actually, more than $9. I had no pitchers in double figures when the season started. By the end of the year, I had one or two based on trades I made. I'm pulling up my roster right now and taking a look. I made a trade for Casey Mize in the middle of the season. He's at $11. And I have a $12 Luis Severino, who I picked up on waivers really late. That's it. I don't have another pitcher over $10. My pitching outscored my hitting in that league. Now, again, for me, what does that mean? 
I waited in the draft. I waited for my keepers. I made trades in the offseason that focused on guys who I just thought were undervalued based on what I was reading from others. I kept a $7 Kevin Gaussman. I kept a $7 Frankie Montas. I picked up a $5 Carlos Rodon. I held on to the injured but $5 Framber Valdez. And this just, it, it pieced together a solid rotation, not a great rotation, but a solid rotation that was good enough to keep me in the mix where I wanted to be. And like I said, I just feel more comfortable with that. And so one of my big takeaways from this year is don't, don't leave your comfort zone. Like, yes, it's good to experiment. Yes, it's good to try new things. I'm glad I took Bieber in the first round in the league this year to see how that goes. If you're playing in a bunch of leagues, trying a bunch of different things, totally makes sense. But by by being true to what I'm best at, by focusing on what I really think I'm I'm good at, and by building a team the way I wanted to build it, those teams I just felt more comfortable with all year. I was in a better position to improve them as the season went on. And I walked away with better performances. And so going into 2022, I think that's going to be a, a big focus for me is just, you know, let pitchers fall to me and go out there and, and get the bats I like. If you look at what's going on in this mock draft I mentioned that Pete and I are participating in, uh, I took Bryce Harper in the first round with the ninth pick. Very happy with that. I took Marcus Simeon in the second. That was a bit of a reach. But like I said, I'm going to reach for the bats I like because I feel good about taking those guys. And then I felt like Chris Sale fell to me in the fourth. I felt like Julio Urias definitely fell to me in the fifth. And this eighth and ninth, I took Clayton Kershaw and Pablo Lopez. In the twelfth, I took Mike Clevenger. All of those were guys who I felt like there were pitchers going before them that were lower ranked, that weren't as good. And so I, I jumped in and took them when I could. I've been opportunistic in that way, but I'm building around my offense and letting my pitchers fall into place. That always feels better to me. I'm very happy doing that. And that is more and more what I'm going to focus on and what I'm going to make a point of doing this year. So we're about 20 minutes in and got something new with Keeper Cut, thanks to being part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network which is we're going to have some some sponsored messages. So we're going to take a quick break right here, let you listen to one of the sponsored messages, and then we'll be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, welcome back. Going to keep going through my takeaways. I already talked about sort of being true to what I'm best at, being true to myself. Now I'm going to go sort of the, the opposite direction, which is I don't want to over-rely on, quote-unquote, my guys. Now, the, the prime example of this here 
is Dominic Smith, who I've been a huge fan of. I've I've touted him for as long as I can remember. Uh, I still am a Dom Smith fan, by the way. I still suspect I will have him on a lot of my rosters next year. That said, he didn't project as a top of the outfield kind of guy. And he was an outfielder in most of the leagues I've played in, I think in everywhere, because he played mostly outfield last year. He did again this year. And he doesn't project as your number one or number two outfielder. I thought he could be that. And the mistake I made was not thinking that he could be that. It was treating it as if it were true. Had I mostly said, you know what? I don't know if this guy's going to be my top outfielder, but I think he'll be a solid outfielder. I believe he can be a number one or number two outfielder, but I'm going I'm to treat him as my number four or number five in an auto new league. My number four or a bench guy in a league with a four outfield setup. Then when he struggled, I just need to replace that fourth outfielder. Like I can bounce back from that. It's much easier to recover from that situation than if you're penciling him in as your number two or number three and he struggles the way he did. And so to give to go back to that League One example, in Auto New League One, I started the year with Juan Soto in the outfield. That is a great place to start in your outfield. And then I had Jesse Winker, Dominic Smith, and Max Kepler. And in my mind, all of those guys were capable of being a solid number two behind Guriel. And so I went real cheap. Other than that, sort of focusing those guys. Winker was awesome and then got hurt down the stretch. Smith and Kepler were were not good. They weren't good at all. And again, the issue here is two guys that I counted on to be near the top of my outfield. I counted on to have in the lineup every single day really struggled. Now, had I not counted on them, had I instead said, look, Kepler could be great, but I don't know, we'll see. And Smith, you know, should be very good, but he's only projected as a fourth outfielder, so I'm going to treat him as that. I would have gone out and I would have bought another outfielder. And I would have gone into the season with Soto, Winker, and whoever that other outfielder would have been. And then I could have bounced back much more easily from Kepler struggling, from Smith struggling. Instead, I couldn't, and my offense is what failed me in that league. Now, I'm going to look at another league. I'm in a CBS head-to-head league that I've talked to you guys about before, another keeper. In this one, I went into the season with Mookie Betts in the outfield. I had Kyle Schwarber. Uh, I think I picked up Brandon Nimmo in season. But I had Dom Smith there. I had Will Myers there, and I had Trent Grisham for four outfielders. And in that one, I wasn't as reliant on Dom. I, I thought that Trent Grisham would be very good. He's really struggled down the stretch, which is a concern I've got to figure out with him. But let's leave that aside. But I believed in Schwarber. I believed in Betts, clearly. Um, I felt like I had good options. I invested elsewhere in my lineup because I could. And when Smith struggled, I eventually was able to replace him. By the end of the season, I ended up winning that league. And in the finals, in the championship round, my outfield on the last day of the season was Kyle Schwarber, Brandon Nimmo, Josh Bell, and Jorge Soler. I ended up trading Mookie Betts in that league, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But again, in that league, I I wasn't counting on Smith to be one of the key cogs in my offense. Like in that auto new league, not only was he my number two outfielder, my number three outfielder, but I really like 
I, I thought he would be one of the guys carrying that offense. He wasn't capable of doing it. In this league, I wasn't counting on him for that. And so when he struggled, it was easier to replace him because it it lowered the ceiling, right? If I had him and he was another legitimate number one, number two outfielder, it raises the ceiling of what that offense is capable of. And now that by losing him, by having him not perform the way I wanted, my ceiling was lowered. But building back to that floor was much easier because I just had to replace a third or fourth outfielder, just another guy to step in, um, not even third or fourth, really a fourth through sixth outfielder on that team where we start four of them. That worked out much better for me. And what ended up happening in that league was I spent a lot of that year in a playoff spot, top six make the playoffs out of 12. I spent a lot of the year in sort of the bottom part of that top six. I made a huge run at the end of the season and going into the last week of the season, I was in first place. I ended up stumbling in the last week and falling to third, bounced back, won my playoff matchups, had a great year. Very, very happy with that. But that slow start and that ability to bounce back was because I didn't need to go out and find, I didn't need to find a replacement for Dom Smith who could be a top 50 bat. I just needed to find a replacement for Dom Smith who could get into the outfield and play for me. Now, I'm, I'm talking a lot about Dom Smith. Uh, he's not the only one. I mentioned Max Kepler was an issue for me. I had a little bit of that issue with Lourdes Scurriel Jr., although he did bounce back and have a much, much better second half of the season. I was I, I, I was sort of that way with Yusei Kukuchi, where I drafted him thinking he could be my number two or number three pitcher, which was just a silly way to draft him. I didn't pay that price for him, right? I didn't pay a number two pitcher price for him, but I counted on him to fill that role even while paying for him as a number six or number seven. If I hadn't counted on him as a number two, then I could have replaced him with a six or seven. Instead, when he stumbled, I didn't have a number two. I had no one else there. And so there's nothing wrong with investing in your guys. There's nothing wrong with overpaying, reaching, going out and getting the guys you really believe in. I am not going to let the fact that Kikuchi and Kepler and Smith, even Victor Robles, I'm not going to let the fact that those guys struggled stop me from sitting here and saying, when I believe in a guy, I'm going to go out there and pay for them. But what I am going to do is say, if the price to get this guy is a middle of the lineup price, I've got then he's a middle of the lineup guy. If the price to get him is fifth outfielder, bench player, don't assume he's going to be more than that. Don't wait on outfielder somewhere else because you've got Tom Smith coming in as your number two outfielder. Take the bigger upside, take the guys you want, and then just be happy that when you get to Smith and when you do get that guy, when you do reach for that guy you really believe in, if they pan out, you've raised the ceiling of your team. And if they don't, at least you can move on. The last thing I want to talk about is not being scared to make a move that gets you where you need to be. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that that Mookie Betts situation. So I talked about how in that CBS league, I started the season with Mookie Betts as my top guy in the outfield. That league, we can protect. There's a vote-off process, and you can protect two players. You designate two franchise players, then everyone else in the league votes two players off your team. Mookie Betts for three years now has been one of my two protected players along with Jose Ramirez. This year, as I came up through the season, it became very apparent that while Betts and Ramirez were probably still my two guys to protect, 
Um, I've got Betts. Betts is going to be $17 next year. Jose Ramirez is going to be, I believe, 13 I also have a very cheap Beau Bichette at $5. He'll be 7 next year. I have a very cheap Marcus Simeon at $9. He'll be 11 next year. If you look at other guys who sort of finished the season near the top of the rankings, like there are good options for me there along with Betts. And what it meant was I was going to have to protect two of Betts, Ramirez, Simeon, and Bichette, and the other two were probably going to get voted off my team. That's a tough call. It was hard to decide what to do. It would have been hard to decide what to do. Betts was also struggling this year, and he was hurt. He was missing time, and it was unclear whether or not the hip was going to keep him off the field. And I was coming down to the stretch run, and I had rebuilt my outfield after having some struggles early with Dom Smith and others, and realized I my team wasn't where I needed to be, and Betts wasn't helping me. I needed pitching. I needed a closer. I needed another big bat if I could get one. And I put Mookie Betts on the trade block. And that seems crazy because he's an inexpensive Mookie Betts. Like he was, you could argue he was the single best value in that league. I don't know if that's true, but he'd be certainly close. But I basically decided that as a keeper, I was going to protect Betts and lose either Bichette or Simeon. Now I can protect one of them. And this year I needed help immediately. And so I traded that Mookie Betts, an expensive Jeff McNeil, another one of those guys I over-relied on this year. And Jonathan Loisaga, who I had only picked up briefly when he looked like he might get some saves in, in New York. I traded the three of them for Aaron Nola, Josh Hader, and Jose Altuve. Now, Nola was already struggling by that point. It was very clear I wasn't paying for sort of prime peak Nola, but I needed pitching. He had a really good set of matchups down the stretch. We actually talked about this trade on the pods. So if you've been listening, you may remember that that we looked at Nola's matchups, felt good about that. But I also got an elite closer and a top-tier middle infielder, and that was a huge boost to my team. And Altuve and Hayter in particular played big, big roles in helping me win that championship. Does it suck that I don't have Mookie Betts now? Yeah, of course. I would love to have Mookie Betts. But you know what? It was the right move to make, and I'm glad I made it. I feel like it set me up to be in a really, really good spot come playoff time, and it worked, right? I mean, it, whether or not it was whether or not it was an overpay for the guys I got, whether or not I wouldn't love to have him back right now, I feel really good about having made that deal. Now, give you another example. In Auto New in League One, here I had a really different goal. I was participating in the Auto New Prestige League, so I was building towards that as well as my own team. And so I had a very different set of goals. I wasn't just focused on what I could do for my team. I was focused on how, or for my league, I should say, I was focused on how can I maximize my opportunity to place well and get into the playoffs and maybe make some noise in the playoffs for the Prestige League. And so I made some trades I might not have otherwise made. Right before the last, right before the playoffs started, I traded Adelis Garcia at $3 and Alejandro Kirk at $6 for a $6 Danny Duffy, a $7 Frankie Montas, and a $3 Eric Haas. Now, I love Kirk, and that $6 Kirk, it hurt to give up. Garcia, by that point, was starting to fall off a little bit, and so I I could sort of live with that. But Kirk wasn't playing every day. And in the Prestige League, where it's best ball, guys who don't play every day really hamper your ability to win. 
So getting Haas, who was a catcher playing every day, and Montas, who was pitching well. Duffy, unfortunately, didn't come back from injury like I expected. At the time, he was on the 60-day DL, so it didn't actually hurt me to get him, but it didn't help the way I hoped. It was a worthwhile trade. A few days before that, I traded a $2 Cal Raleigh and a $2 Alec Thomas. Thomas is the one that hurts here. I think he's a star in the making. For a $36 Nolan Arenado and a $40 Cody Bellinger. Now, I don't know that I thought Bellinger was necessarily worth it. He seems like a clear cut, a really bad league. I think Arenado is overpriced. I didn't think either of them were going to make a huge difference to my ability to compete, given the other players I had on my team. Uh, I was already pretty deep at, at corner infield. And so Arenado, obviously Arenado played, but he didn't make a huge improvement on my day-to-day lineup. But I thought those guys would matter a lot for best ball. And so I made that trade. Earlier in the season, I traded away Nolan Jones, Taylor Walls, and Nico Horner basically to get Anthony Rizzo. Traded away Luke Voigt when he was hurt to get Jorge Soler, which ends up working out quite well, and Giovanni Gallegos. The problem is that I ended up cutting Soler uh, before he got traded and before he really took off, basically because of the same thing. I needed to be able to get my team set up for... I needed to get the best players I could for OPL. And so I made a cut there. Not a great cut. I traded Jordan Groshans, one of my favorite prospects for Lourdes Gurriel Jr., I traded Michael Conforto, who I really believe would turn things around, for Miguel Sano, who I didn't believe would turn things around, but who filled a position I needed at the time. This was back in May. Decided Sano was a better fit and a more important player for my OPL team. I think a lot of those trades hurt me long term. I think a lot of those trades probably didn't help me in my league. But what they did do was they made my OPL team stronger. And I ended up advancing to the playoffs and winning my first playoff round. And as a result, managed to get into the prize pool for OPL, which was pretty exciting. Not something I necessarily thought I was going to get to. Getting through to the playoffs earned me a t-shirt. Winning my first playoff matchup earned me a prize, $200 prize for that. That was what I was aiming for, and that's what I got. And so were those the best trades? Nah, I don't know. They were fine. Were they trades I'm thrilled I made? Nah, I don't know. But they all accomplished what I wanted to do, and I I didn't feel... I don't feel bad about having pulled the trigger on any of those. I feel like I made the right decisions. I got my teams where I wanted them to be. I won a championship. I made a run in the OPL playoffs. That's what I wanted to do with those two teams. And and so I think one of the things that I've done in the past is, and maybe this is tied to being over-reliant on my guys, I, I fall in love with players. I fall in love with my team. I don't want to trade away the players I like. I don't want to move on from the guys that are, even when they're struggling. And being overly attached to your guys, I know this is like, this is like fantasy 101. This shouldn't be my takeaway from the 2021 season, uh, but it is. But Don't be over-reliant on your guys. Don't get overly attached to your guys. When you have the opportunity to pull the trigger on a trade that will make you better and get you towards your goal, go do it. Talked a little bit before about knowing what your goal is. That really matters. But when you have an opportunity to make that move, make it. It's worth it. It'll do good things for you. So those are my takeaways. So again, to sort of recap what we covered, last week, Pete talked about 
investing in catcher more than he has in the past, avoiding injured players, not sort of relying on them to come back and help you. Don't reach for prospects. They're not necessarily going to be stars on day one. Don't stress about stolen bases. There's fewer and fewer of them to go around. And if you don't have them, you won't be the only one. And then I talked this week about being true to what I'm best at. For me, what that means is don't reach for pitching. Don't invest too much draft capital in pitching. It's not what I'm going to, it's not where I'm going to win leagues. For you, it might mean something totally different. So don't take that to mean, you know, don't draft pitchers early. There's plenty of people who draft pitchers early and are really successful with it. It's just not me. Don't be over-reliant on my guys. If I only have to pay a fourth outfielder price for a guy, treat him as a fourth outfielder. Don't pass on taking a second outfielder because this guy is going to be there. By doing that, I think I, I just put myself in a bad situation when those guys don't work out. And then lastly, don't be scared to make a big move. Don't be scared to drop the guys that you need to drop, to trade the guys you need to trade. I think someone made a, in, in the auto news slack, there was a story the other day about a guy who went through, I think, I think he ended the season with like 80 cap penalties because he was just churning constantly guys who weren't producing for him. Don't produce for me this week. I'm moving on to someone who will. And by doing that, that guy won a championship. Now, getting back to the be true to yourself, I am not sure I could play that way. But there's an important lesson there about don't be scared to make those moves. Don't get attached to guys. Don't sit on guys just because they're on your team. Find the right moves to make. Make them and get yourself ready to get where you want to be. And don't regret them later, right? Don't sit here and, and, you know, I can't sit here and moan about the fact that I don't have Mookie Betts now. It doesn't do me any good. It was the right trade to make at the time. I feel good about having made it. That's that. So thank you for listening. A couple of pieces of news for you. First of all, we are through the offseason going to be on every other week's schedule. This one is sort of a bonus episode coming at you, but we will typically be on every other Monday. You heard from Pete on the 4th. You'll hear from us again on the 18th, then November 1st, November 15th, and so on. We're going to be covering a lot of keeper-related content this season, and, and one of the exciting things for, for us and hopefully for some of you out there is we're going to be on the main Pitcherless podcast feed, which means that we'll be hopefully getting out to some more listeners, having more people join in. And so for those of you who are hearing us maybe for the first time, go back and listen to some of our old episodes. There's some good stuff there, but also subscribe, leave us ratings, leave us reviews, follow us on Twitter. You can follow the show at Keep or Cut. You can follow me at Chad Young. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. We'd love to hear from you. We are still sort of putting together our agenda for the offseason. So if there's content you want to hear, if there's Keeper League stuff, auto news stuff you want us to talk about, definitely let us know. We're going to talk about some interesting keepers. We're going to talk about auto new arbitration at some point. We're going to talk about what you do in the offseason with trades and roster planning. We're probably going to do some positional previews at some point. A lot of stuff we want to do, but what we really want to do is deliver content that's useful for you. So if there's stuff you want to hear about, let us know. Reaching out to any of us on Twitter, me or Pete or the show, is the best way to do that. And again, ratings and reviews, we really, really appreciate them. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>